But Jonah chapter 4 says this, but let me pray first. Father God, we just come to continue to worship you, our awesome God. God, you are truly good. And as we have taken time during communion to just reflect upon who you are and what you've done for us, Lord, I just stand in awe of who you are. Lord, as we continue to worship you through the opening of your word, through the preaching, God, I pray by your spirit that you would help me to preach this sermon with what is needed and use this sermon to bring glory to your name and joy to the people and salvation to the lost. And amen. Jonah chapter 4, the word of the Lord says this, but, you gotta love that word, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it and in the shade till he, till he, should, uh, till he should see what would happen to the, become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a, a plant and made it come up over Jonah and it, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should, I, should not I pity Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the right hand from the left, and also much cattle. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to let you in on a little bit of a secret. Uh, pastors sin. I know. Regularly. And here's the thing. As I was reading this over, I was reminded of a few things in my own life that I don't really like. So uh, next week, Matt and I, Pastor Matt and I, will be going uh, to a pastor's conference. And, you know, we re- I enjoy going to them. They're great to, to be, to be rejuvenated and all these things. But you know what I don't like about it? Hey, how big's your church? Like, that's the question. I guarantee you I will be asked at least three times. Oh, how, how big's that church? 
I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and then you hear about all these. A few years ago, I was down at Moody listening to uh, at another pastor's conference down in Chicago, and Joel Stoll came, and uh, he really convicted me and spoke to my heart. And one of the things he said uh, was that as a pastor, I need to pray for the churches that God would bless other churches. And I'm sitting there going, I have to pray that God would bless the church down the street that's like a mega church? Clearly God's already doing that. <laughs> you know, the, you can feel the envy beginning to rise within you. How dare God show mercy and grace and, and, and to those people? They, they don't need any more. I, I need some. You know, I, I've worked harder. Things just seem to come easier for them. You know, and today as I get into God's word, I see Jonah and something just rings true to me. Do you do well to be angry? God says twice to Jonah. See, when it comes to growing in God's grace, none of us are set up for life. We are called, as Peter says, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Jonah had an unrighteous anger that caused him to think life with God is not worth living. And we see that in the text, right? I've never seen a more... Pitiful man. He's just whining the whole time. And as we get into this first point here, an unrighteous anger can make you think life with God is not worth living. We see this. And Jonah's angry, and it's an unrighteous anger. It's not, an, it's not a holy anger. And that anger comes up because, God, I just want to die. And he says this in verses 1 to 4. And this is amazing. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. What a great way to open up that first chapter. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Like, you could just preach on that one. Like, he was angry at God. But what was he angry about? We were talking about this last week. This is back in, at the end of chapter 3. Uh, in verse 9, the, the Ninevites, God, Jonah had just preached to the Ninevites. He, he got vomited up onto the shore. He walked for like 30 days and he preached this simple message of repent. Doom is coming. And Nineveh and the king's response was that they did indeed do that. They repented and they put their hope in the God who saves and says, oh, maybe he will relent from his disaster. And that is exactly what God does. Who knows, verse 9 says, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that he may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, how they repented, he, God relented of the disaster that he has said he would do to them. See, in this prayer, we find a revision to the old Jonah who ran away from God's commands when back in Jonah chapter 1. And you need to see the selfishness of this prayer. In the original language, the personal pronoun is used nine times. Me, 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 me. It shows an extreme selfishness. 
but also shows Jonah's short-sightedness. So Jonah says, so God's word says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Displeased is this idea of Jonah had a moral problem with God doing what he did. He had a moral problem. This is the guy who, who, who disobeyed God just a few chapters before, saying, God, I have a moral issue with you saving these people. He displeased them. He thought it was gravely wrong. You read this story and you'd hope that Jonah, who has received so much of God's grace and his mercy, his forgiveness for his own evil, that he would be not exceedingly angry, but exceedingly happy that God has poured out his grace and his mercy upon Nineveh. Jonah was scandalized by the inclusiveness of God's mercy. God's mercy isn't reserved for any specific people, not an ethnic group, but for all people who repent and believe. And that's it. And Jonah was exceedingly angry with this. In verse 2, he comes along, For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Like, this still doesn't even make sense. Here he is. He's praying to God, the characteristics of who God is. And he's like, I knew that you were going to do this because this is who you are. And he's angry. Jonah's self-centeredness is, is astonishing here. He takes language from Exodus 32, 1-6. It's one of the darkest moments for Israel. Israel uh, has, has just built a golden calf. They just received the Ten Commandments. And they're building a golden calf. To worship this golden calf. God has freed them from, from Egypt, from slavery, from the wandering. And he, they make this idol. And they begin to bow down and worship. See, when they built that golden calf and bowed down and worship, it is in that context that God forgives his sinful people. That is the first time we see that he is a God who relents from disaster. But for some reason, when God shows this same mercy and grace to others, Jonah is displeased. If God is going to forgive people who Jonah thinks are too wicked to deserve it, Jonah doesn't want to live in that world at all. I would rather die. Over my dead body, he says. God, you can't save these people over my dead body. He says that to God. I'm surprised God's response isn't, yeah, okay. He is vehemently reacting to God's grace. These words are a reason to praise God, but Jonah uses this as a tirade against him. Even though Jonah had become obedient, he still lacked a spirit. Do you understand that? That obedience doesn't always necessarily mean a change of heart? That's called legalism. So before we all get all judgy on Jonah, we really need to remember who comes, how common this is amongst us when we murmur against God's sovereign will. As you flip through the pages of history, believers have stood in direct opposition to God's revealing will and sought to implement their own, right? All the time. Oh God, I know better. I'm going to do it this way. 
When verse 4, it comes and God responds to Jonah's whining and complaining. See, you can see God's patience in this. I'm already like, I can't stand whining. Like, don't whine. And I say that to my kids all the time. You know, you know God sent Israel into the wilderness for whining. <laughs> so stop whining. <laughs> It's like nails on a chalkboard. But God in his patience just says this. See, this is why I'm not God. <laughs> Verse 4, And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? In other words, is this really the right attitude that you should be having right now, Jonah? The Lord responds with a searching question. Another response, in other words, is this the right response for you? Are you supposed to be angry right now? In this context, it's in particular, the issue is clear. It is right to be angry. Is it right to be angry that, God, that the same mercy and grace that you yourself have received from the Lord is shown to other people, Jonah? See, unlike most people who sin in ignorance of what God is really like, Jonah's heart rebels precisely because he knows the truth about God. This is mind-blowing. He knows who God is. He just said it. He's praying it to God. And then he rebels against him. And because of the truth conflicts with his own heart's desires. How often do we get face to face with the reality of who God is, but we reject it because it doesn't line up with us? All the time. I do it all the time. You do it too. I know better. And God says, no, you don't. What has Jonah been forgetting here? That God has been gracious to him. Even in this story, God broke him so he could heal him through the swallowing of that giant fish. He delivered him from that fish and then put him back into his presence. He brought him back into his presence. Not only does he forgive, but he says, Jonah, I'm reestablishing you as my prophet, as the one who goes and proclaims my word. See, when it comes to growing in God's grace, none of us are set up for life. We need to constantly be reminding ourselves of the grace that God has poured out on our lives. We need to preach to ourselves, each other, the gospel every day. Because Jonah forgot. I don't know how you forget the whole being swallowed by a fish thing. And the three days of marinating in that. See, Jonah had this problem with God showing mercy to anyone else but his own. He says this in verse 2, my own country. You know, Jonah's anger rises from his hostility to another people group being saved. In other words, he was a racist. Jonah could embrace the grace of God for his own countrymen, but for, not for an alien pagans like the Ninevites. He knew, he says, that God was gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. It was wrong, he believed, for this blessing to be shown to these people, especially these people who've shown so much violence 
See, Jonah had a problem with God showing mercy to anybody else. But Jonah also had a problem with the character of God. We see that right there in the text. Jonah resented God's mercy for sinners. He completely forgot about the mercy that he had just been shown. And Jonah was committed to the judgment of the wicked. He wanted those wicked people to be condemned and damned to hell. He wanted them dead. He wanted them gone. When God's anger towards Nineveh ends, Jonah's anger is still burning strong. And Jonah is upset because he thinks God is soft on sin. The Lord might be rejoicing in the presence of the angels over the sinners coming to, to repentance. But Jonah was seething with discontent and bitterness. Jonah had a problem with the character of God. Jonah was also angry with the freedom that God had to be, well, God. So God challenges Jonah in verse 4, do you do well to be angry? And by his action, Jonah says, yes, I do. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. If only Jonah was God, how different would things be? So offensive is God's plan of grace that Jonah no longer wants to live. Over my dead body. See, Jonah was angry with the freedom of God to be God. See, what you see here in Jonah is a real big pride problem. How else could Jonah think he could do things better than God? Lots of people do argue with the Bible's doctrine of grace in just this way. When Paul wrote of God's sovereignty of grace in Romans 9, he talks about two ways people argue. The first, he says, so there injustice on God's, is there injustice on God's part? He says this in Romans 9.14. See, people frequently object the way to the doctrine of election. The Bible says that God sovereignly chooses his people for all eternity. But people object, isn't that unfair? And Paul rejoins them by no means. For he says to Moses, I have mercy on whom I have mercy. You see Jonah's problem? He doesn't like the fact that God has the freedom to be God. And when we read that passage, uh, I've struggled with this. God, that's not fair. But here it is. To claim injustice when it comes to grace is simply to confuse categories. No one deserves to be saved. Get that out of your head. Jonah, that's what he was struggling with. He felt he deserved to be saved. No one deserves to be saved. If anyone is saved at all, it is only because of God's mercy. And the second objection to sovereign grace is just as, as wrong. Paul says in, in verse 19, You will say to them then, Why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? And this is a common objection to the sovereign election. If God decides everything, how can we be blamed? But notice Paul's thing in verse 20. Who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? 
See, when we forget the grace God has given us, how he has been so merciful, how undeserving we are of what he has done for us, it's easy for us to get swallowed up with an unrighteous anger. To rise up and and say along with Jonah, Oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. See, when it comes to growing in God's grace, none of us are set up for life. We all have a need for continual and perpetual growth in the grace of God. Also, next point is this, unrighteous anger can make you hope for the judgment of God on others that you would not want for yourself. Verse 5, It says, as Jonah went out of the city. So God asks this question in verse 4. Jonah doesn't respond. He just gets out of the city and sits. He's just like slumped over. right? He's just walking out of the city, pouting. He probably literally has the pouting lip. And and he's walking out. And Jonah went out of the city and sat at the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. So instead of responding to God, Jonah leaves the city kind of like a pouting child and builds himself this shelter and he waits. And he's literally hoping that God would destroy the city. But what does God do? Creates an object lesson. Again, to help him, to help Jonah understand the goodness of of his worldwide grace, mercy, love, and forgiveness. In verse 6, Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. See, God's going to teach Jonah a lesson again. Did Jonah do anything to make that plant grow? No. He was really happy about it, wasn't he? I would be too. I've been to the Middle East. It's hot. Shade goes a long way in the Middle East. What's amazing is God's favor. Kind of seems a little unusual, but God has a lesson for Jonah. Even in this word, it says the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim. And Elohim is this one that means the God who provides. God is the one who provides Jonah with this shade to give him comfort. He provided it. He gave it. And Jonah's response was, oh, I'm, this is great. Awesome. God, thank you for my blessings, but how can you bless those other people down the street? How can they have a better and more how can that pastor have a bigger church? How, why is everything coming so easy? Why, why, why? And then verse 7, But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. Again, God, Elohim, the God who provides, he provides a worm. I, lo- I love it. See, God withdraws his deliverance. In fact, God actively works with appointing his creation to prove Jonah a point. You hope that Jonah will be broken, but he becomes harder. 
Somehow he remains convinced he deserves deliverance from disaster, but others do not. That his evil deserves forgiveness while the evil of others deserves judgment. When it comes to growing in God's grace, none of us is set up for life. We all have a need for continual and perpetual growth in the grace of God. And when we look at verses 9 to 11, we see that unrighteous anger can make you miss opportunities to be merciful the way God is merciful. See, God asks the question again in verse 9. Do you do well to be angry for this plant? I can't help but ask Jonah... If this is true about the plant, isn't it even more true for the city full of people? And that's exactly what God says in verses 10 to 11. In verse 10, God addresses Jonah and how little he really should care for a plant. It is a plant. It is a plant that he didn't even work to grow. He didn't work in the ground. He didn't water it. It showed up overnight, as God says, and then it was gone the next day. It's just a weed. In verse 11, it says this, and this is what God says in verse 11. And should not I pity Nineveh? The great city, in in the original language, is the city that I care for, in which there are more than 120,000 people. See, how different it is when it comes to the Lord and the city of Nineveh. Everything about God's description of the city is meant to underscore how much it it should mean to Jonah. It's like God is saying, Nineveh has more than 120,000 people in it. People made in my image. And they are utterly lost with no idea of what is right or wrong. They are like little children who cannot even tell the difference between their right hand and their left hand. And even if you do not care about the people, just think about all the animals that are there. Like, God gives them like two levels. What matters more? What is weightier? If you can feel sorry for this meager and meaningless plant, should I, should I not feel sorry for all these people made in my image? And Jonah, do you not get it? Are not the animals of the city alone worth more pity than the puny plant? See, this reflects the very same compassion that Jesus expresses in Matthew 9, verses 36, when he says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Our God is a compassionate God. See, what's interesting, God asks us a question and there's no response recorded. See, once again, the Lord's question hangs in the air unanswered. And this is done on purpose. It's intentional. When a story ends with a question, the only ones who can answer it are the readers. Are you and me. At this point, it is not his response that matters. It's ours. 
how do we respond to this question? In light of how God has revealed himself to us. The question forces us to think about the answer. It forces us to fill in the blank. What is your response? What is my response? So what? Jonah forgot Israel's mission entirely. He has no compassion for the nations. He regards them not as as potential recipients of God's mercy, but merely as objects of God's wrath. He is not interested in their deliverance. He is interested only in their destruction. See, God cares for all the nations. Christians today may well ask themselves, do we really believe this to be true? Do we really believe that God cares for our neighbor across the street? Or better yet, the neighbor right next door to you who keeps on crunching, whatever, keeps getting on our property. Or that tree that just, you know, it looks like it's going to fall on your house. See, the main part of the answer is that he had forgotten the depths of his own need for God's grace. See, do we really believe God loves those in the Muslim nation, in the Hindu nation, the Buddhist nation? Do we speak of people from these nations as though they really bear God's image and are in need of his grace? Or do our thoughts and words and deeds betray a different attitude? Maybe one more like Jonah? See, why was Jonah's attitude so different from the Lord's? Because he forgot what God has done for him. See, those who forget their need of mercy are the quickest to withhold it from others. And I pray that we would be a church that remembers God's mercy and his grace that he has poured out on us. So that we can show. See, Jesus told a parable about a servant who was forgiven much by a king, but then refused to extend the same forgiveness to a fellow servant. you remember that story in Matthew? The king was justly furious. You wicked servant, he says. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servants as I had mercy on you? The story ends with that servant being thrown into jail, into prison. See, Jesus' point is clear. If you have received such mercy and forgiveness from the King of Heaven, you cannot withhold it from anyone else. Ever. Do you really want these things for others? There's an easy way to tell. In Jesus, we have experienced God's abundant grace and mercy, love and forgiveness. If you've experienced these things, you have known the gospel. You understand that Christ died for your sins and rose again. That God himself steps down from his throne to take our punishment upon us. So that those who believe in what God has done for us, who who rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ now have a relationship with the holy God and we can call him Father. If we have been shown these things, do we not want them to be known to everybody we meet? No matter who they are, no matter their morals, their race, their nationality, their social class, their gender, their political beliefs. That's a good one right there, political beliefs. 
then we have understood well the lessons of this book in the heart of our Savior. But if we show these things to some people and not to others, if we show these things to those like us, but not to those who are different, if we show these things to those we like, but not to those we dislike, if we are in any way selective in terms of the people to whom we show God's grace, his mercy, his love and forgiveness, then we still do not get it. We remain disciples of Jonah, not disciples of Jesus Christ. And we are a church that aims to glorify God by being disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. If I think of myself as a compassionate person, if that's who I think I am, which I should be if my Savior is, my actions will include the proclamation of the gospel that Christ died for my sins and rose again. They have to. Actually, as I was reflecting upon this, not only should my actions be there, but my words have to be there too. If I am a person of compassion, then that means I do have to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the only way by which someone is saved. So which begs the question, right? It's a pretty simple one. Am I neglecting what God has called me to do? You know, Jonah comes along here and he's angry. He's angry at God for how he, because he knew that he was a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The reality is this, folks. If your family or your neighbors or your co-workers do not know Jesus Christ, they are in chapter 3. God's judgment is coming. And I really want to know, I really want my, the people that God has placed in my life to know that my God is gracious, that he is merciful, that he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, that anyone who believes in Jesus Christ and confesses him as his Lord and Savior will be saved. I want to be a compassionate person. I pray that you will too. I have a lot to think about as I read through Jonah. As I said at the beginning, how dare God bless another church down the street? But who am I? Who am I? God is sovereign. But he has also blessed me so, so much. I am a sinner saved by God's grace. I am a wretch sinner saved by God's grace. And I really want other people to know that they too can be saved by God's grace. Let us continue to sing and worship him today. Father God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for what you have done and shown us through Jonah. I pray that we would continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, that we would forever stand in awe of what you have done for us through your son, Jesus Christ, and that we would be a people who go out proclaiming the grace and the mercy of our Lord and Savior, that we wouldn't be selective or cause favorites, but that we would just proclaim the good news that you have saved us by. Amen. Why don't you stand with us as you receive?